My guest this week is Chris Williams of Williams Crow and Mask. You know, we've got so many clients that are running great businesses. Why can't we do some of the things that they do with goal setting and kind of the culture being so important and focusing on people, not processes and not billable hours, but all these other intangibles. Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. Well, hello, everyone. This is Mark Goldman, a CPA, and your host for Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. This week, we interviewed Chris Williams of Williams, Crow, and Mask, a CPA firm in San Antonio. Chris is a third-generation CPA, but he didn't start out along that path. He has a very interesting journey, which is one of the reasons I invited him on the show today. Chris is a a very humble and gracious individual, and I think that you're going to notice that immediately in the interview and, and come to appreciate that immediately as well. I would love to go into some of the details of his story because it it really is a little unique, but I think it's best for you to hear from Chris himself in the interview. I think he shares the details a lot better than I ever could. So thank you again for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Here we go. Well, good afternoon, Chris. Thank you for taking the time to schedule this. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks, Mark. You know, it's flattering that you would have me on just to to share a little bit about my story, and and hopefully we can talk about some good stuff today. Of course. You are too humble. Way too humble. (laughs) Well, after our last couple of brief conversations, it it became apparent to me that your story is just a little unique. And so, you know, you definitely didn't enter the accounting profession through the usual channels. Therefore, I thought you'd be an excellent guest to come share your story with our listening audience. Before we get into that exactly, though, how you got into accounting, so to speak, if you could tell us a little bit about what you do now, you know, what is your current role exactly at Williams Crow Mask? Sure. Well, I guess if you just looked at my current role and title as a partner in a locally based CPA practice, you'd think I got there in a straight line. So right now, I'm, I'm, I lean a little bit more to the tax side. But in a firm like ours, which has been around 60 years, I can get in that a little while, but I play the role of, of partner and, and our firm's about 15 folks. So you get to wear a lot of different hats. Wonderful. Well, what other hats do you wear? Well, you know, it's one of my passions is to kind of be out in the community. So in, uh, in addition to being able to do a lot of the, the technical work and the review on the tax side and, and planning, I get to do a lot of consulting. I get to do a lot of outside kind of charitable, face of the firm type work. And, and then internally from managerial point of view, I'm kind of the partner more in charge of the strategy and the vision. And it's a great compliment because my partner, Kurt Mask, is, is an incredible guy and, and just really is a nice compliment. We, we, we don't have the same skill sets by any means. 
Okay. Well, you know, I usually get into this later in the program, but you mentioned that you really enjoy being out in the community and you said face of the firm. And I take it you're talking about with some nonprofits and charitable kind of efforts. What efforts do you guys back? Well, you know, it it kind of personally, I've, I've got a few, you know, as a firm, that's part of our core purpose is to have a positive impact. So some of the, the causes that we really are passionate about, the Down Syndrome Association of South Texas, Kurt is on the board there, and the San Antonio CPA Society, which I know that's where kind of we met. You know, it's important to me to get back to the profession, but really what I get excited about, the Blue Santa program and the Fun Olympics, and if our team could kind of contribute to each of those. Every part of our goal setting within the firm on an annual and, and quarterly basis involves sometimes a number of service projects we want to do. So if it's just getting on the ground and serving at the at the food bank or Habitat or one of those things, something we've done personally, I'm pretty involved and have been for the last few years with the Downtown Rotary Club. And actually just found out earlier today, they asked me if I would be the president of the club, which is quite an honor and quite a responsibility in, in two years. So I'm excited about that just because of its service above self is the motto. Pretty involved. There's another little charity. I say little, it's really growing called Snack Packs for Kids, where it's helping provide meals to, to hungry kids and students here in San Antonio. And then a big part of my life is my faith. So being involved pretty actively in my church is a big deal for me as well. So that's Hopefully you can see I get kind of excited about all that sort of stuff because I figure like this is actually the most important thing, um, whether it's through the firm or just personally that I need to be doing and I enjoy doing. Okay. I'm going to show my ignorance a little bit here, but I'm assuming I'm not going to be the only person listening that may not know this. What is the, I've heard of Rotary Club. I'm vaguely familiar with it. What is the mission, though, and the purpose of Rotary? Because I, I really well, the, you know, Rotary was started back in the early 1900s in Chicago, and it was sort of a a combination of a of a service club, but it also the reason it's called Rotary is you kind of initially had one CPA, one lawyer, one doctor, and so there was a you know a networking component to it. Rotary's grown. There's probably a million and a half Rotarians worldwide in 130 countries. Here locally, we've got a couple of clubs. And so some are more, you know, networking oriented. I think the one we have here locally, you know, we really lean heavy on a lot of service. And the motto of Rotary is service above self. And sometimes the projects get pretty big. Rotary International has partnered with Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to eradicate polio. And that was an initiative that was established in 1980. They came out as partners a few years ago, and it's amazing, but polio is almost completely eradicated around the globe. And so that's on a big picture level. Here locally, we do a lot with students and education. So it's a really neat, really neat organization. I'm privileged to be a part of it. Have you decided on the presidential position yet, or is that... I, I, I told them yes. No, um, it was a big decision, and I had to. I also got the blessing of my partner Kurt because it is a big responsibility for a club like ours in San Antonio. So there's weekly meetings. There's a lot of other activities that you know I'm comfortable that it's I'll be able to maintain my role in the firm, but it's definitely going to keep me busy. But what a great opportunity to just give back and be a part of something that's so much bigger than myself and bigger than the firm. You know, have a huge impact. So. It was kind of an offer. If you look at the roster of who's been president, you feel really humbled that you even got asked. And then you think, well, it's a great 
opportunity to to serve. And so I I said yes. Well, I'll, I'll tell you in two years if that or two or three years if that was a great decision. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that it will be. Do you have to go through the formality of an approval process, or is it a done deal? Because I want to know. Um, I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> no, it, it it's been approved. Like today, they I was a part of the nominated slate of directors, and I've been on the board before. But they took an, a motion from the floor today at lunch. I was there earlier, and it was approved. As were the other directors, and and my term as president won't start till. June of 2018. So, but the year oh. before, there's a lot of prep work, and we've got 40 or 50 committees, and there's about 400, 450 members of our club locally. So, there's a lot going on. But okay. they've got a great, wow. so we've got a great staff, and I mean, hopefully, as you know, having been president of the CPA Society, uh, having a good executive director and, and administrative team really is a true. Couldn't do it without it. Yes. Yeah, that makes all the difference. <laughs> Thank you, Jackie, if you're listening. Thank you, Jackie. Exactly. <laughs> well, congratulations. That, that's, oh, uh, thank you. That is quite an honor. So tell us a little bit about how you got into accounting. Where did it all begin? Sure. Well, like I said a little bit ago, you know, it, it, most people, if you see my role now, you, you assume it was obvious. Williams Crow Mass was founded in the 1950s by my grandfather, George Williams, and my dad, became a partner in the 70s and actually was a partner until he retired last year. So and I had, I guess, accounting CPA in my genes. My mom's also a CPA. So all that said, growing up, I was pretty resolute that I would not become a CPA. Um, <laughs> not that I don't love my mom and dad and grandfather, but it just Maybe it wasn't going on spring breaks, learning that tax season was just this time where you were going to work your tail off, which I enjoy working hard, but it just didn't seem like it was for me. And so throughout my undergraduate, I really pursued more finance, investments, management. I have an undergrad from Texas A&M and had some tremendous experiences working with some groups that really did some sophisticated investment planning and estate planning. And so really for the first 10 years out of A&M, well, I'll take that back. For, for the first five years out of A&M, I really was not in the accounting profession. And I was really enjoying what I was doing. And then I got the opportunity to join a firm here in town that a lot of people don't know about, but uh, they're one of the, you know, I mean, they're just amazing, a group called Alamo Advisors. It's a group of CPAs that had been Ernst & Young, and they had transitioned out to form their own firm. And they really focused on very high net worth investment consulting state planning. And then unbeknownst to me, maybe when I joined them, a lot of tax work. And so I got over there thinking I was privileged to get the opportunity to work with them. because they're some of the smartest folks I've ever been around. And when I got over there, I was doing a lot of helping with the investment practice, but then came tax season and it was time to do tax returns. And at 25 years old, I'd never done a tax return before. Mainly because like, when you have two parents that are CPAs, I mean, why would I learn? I have a free resource. <laughs> <laughs> so, but they took me under their wing and, and, and really showed me kind of the ropes of how you did those things. And, and I learned so much. At the time, I had already obtained a few securities licenses, my CFP, and you know, I, I've always enjoyed learning. And so one day I was sitting down in the, in the managing partner, Bob Johnson's office, and I was thinking, well, what's the next step for me to learn? Is it getting a CFA or a CPA or who knows? And we kind of talked about it. And, and from what I'd seen in their practice, I, I really felt like, well, really to understand investments and, and just to consult 
my CPA was a great road. And so I went and, and talked to Dr. Groff, who was the dean at the time at the accounting school at UTSA and kind of had a, a great conversation. And he really helped me on, you know, what's the easiest path? And I say easy kind of in air quotes because I don't think it's easy to become <laughs> a CPA. And the rules in the state of Texas, as I know, imagine you know, require a certain amount of accounting hours and then you have to pass the exam. Well, even with a finance undergrad from A&M, I was still 30, 35 hours short. So I went back and en- enrolled at UTSA and I'd, I'd work all day and then I would drive to the UTSA in campus and take classes at night and, uh, and did that for about two years got enough hours. Then I sat for the exam and passed it. And so that's kind of how I became a CPA. And with the whole intent, the whole time, I, I, I loved working with those guys and still think so highly of them, never intending on ever coming to work with my dad or for my dad. A lot of people don't believe me when I tell them that, but it's, it's the honest truth. But after I had achieved the CPA, my dad's partner at the time, Dan Crow. And my dad and Dan are both in their mid-60s at this point and hadn't done a lot of succession planning, kind of approached me and said, well, Chris, would you ever be interested in coming to work with us? And, you know, my initial reaction was, well, I'm flattered, but no thanks. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really proud of what, what y'all do and, and, my, and the legacy my grandfather kind of established, but it's just not for me. And so that was initially my reaction. But after about a year of just conversations, it was really kind of the opportunity to work with my dad and the great people that we have here at, at Williams Grow Mask, that it was just an opportunity I couldn't couldn't turn down. And, and honestly, professionally, it was probably the most difficult decision that I had to make because I, I just really enjoyed where I was working and the people I was working with. I mean, I can't say enough about them and all that I learned but to work with my dad to kind of come in as a partner and be able to craft the strategy and think about the direction of the practice and can we do things differently was just something that I've really enjoyed doing the last five or six years and I don't think could have existed anywhere else. So not the direct route to get here, but I love what I do and what I get to do every day and the people I get to work with. So. And you talked about being responsible for strategy and vision earlier and, and then hear about, you know, getting to shape sort of the future of the firm with your father. How would you sum up the type of firm you're trying to build or, or that you guys have built? That's a great question. I mean, it's something I think actually a lot about. And I look at and I've been exposed to a lot of great entrepreneurs. I don't really have your traditional CPA mindset. I mean, in a, and I say that in it could, that could be good and that can be bad. I've, I've seen it both ways, but you know, I've, I've always viewed Williams Crow Mask is it's got the opportunity to be a great business. And, you know, we've got so many clients that are running great businesses. Why can't we do some of the things that they do with goal setting and kind of the culture being so important and focusing on people, not processes and not billable hours, but it's all these other intangibles. And so I like to think that's what guides us. When I came in, one of the first things that we really went into a deep dive was, I mean, this place has been amazing for the last 50 or 60 years, but what if we challenged ourselves to take it to the next level and and take our core values, our fabric and our core purpose and, and write them down and be proud of them and take the service that we do and make it a priority for every individual within the firm and, and then just collectively. And I don't think it's rocket science and I don't think it's anything, honestly, that the firm has not done in the past. We're just really focused on that. As we've done that, we've grown with 
team members, but then also with new clients. And it's been a real privilege to, to be a part of it and just kind of have a vision for where we're headed over the next 10 or 15 years. I tend to think out at least that far, if not longer. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, given your position, so to speak, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. We hear frequently that there's a shortage of CPAs in the profession, particularly in public accounting, but really overall. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on where we're going with that, you know, the future outlook, so to speak? Well, you know, that's something that I, I think I've thought a little bit about because I'm, I serve on the UTSA Accounting Department Advisory Board and then also being involved at the state level for the Texas Society of CPAs. And I know it's a concern. Seems like there's a lot of folks that are getting their undergrad, but they're not sitting for the exam. So there's kind of a disconnect there. There's also a lot of accountants that are, I think, really smart, but they're choosing to go into the private sector versus public accounting. So I, I don't know how to how to bridge that gap. I, I do think some of the, the work that we do when I look out is going to become more commoditized. If it's just basic tax compliance, I firmly believe there's going to be an, a computer that can do it really well. So I think having that accounting background is going to be and the CPA is going to be more, especially the CPA is going to be more essential because you're going to have to have the ability to consult think in multi-directions, then the depth of the CPA curriculum really allows for that versus just being somebody punching numbers in to a computer. So one of the things that I, I get the opportunity to do, and it's, it's really neat, is to visit with a lot of students. And not being an accounting grad myself, I don't know how much they believe what I say, but you know, I, I try to encourage folks that if they're seeking a business degree, that accounting is, a, is something they should consider, or finance at the very least, because it's a technical skill that is really going to provide you a lot of optionality. And to pursue the CPA, I mean, just go down the list of Fortune 500 CFOs, even CEOs, a lot of them have that background. And there's just a lot you can do with that. And so hopefully more folks will, will consider it and pursue it because it's just it's a great, great baseline. You, you mentioned, I guess, in your work with UTSA that you hear people are pursuing their bachelor's degree, but then not going ahead to sit for the exam. Just to clarify, is that people pursuing the 150 hours and not sitting for the exam, or is it Accounting majors stopping short of the 150-hour requirement. They've, then, you know, it's something that the board talks about a lot, and I think you see initially you had folks that would just get that accounting undergrad, and it's a four-year program. It doesn't have that master's curriculum that will get you the 150. I know it's something A&M and Texas have done a really good job with their their programs for a long time, and I think UTSA has recognized we need to make sure that there's ways that we can, our students are ready for the exam. And so I think it's somewhat a curriculum thing and expectation. One of the things I think UTSA and some of the smaller schools struggle with, just to be honest with you, is, you know, having gone to A&M and, you know, seen the way their five-year program works, a lot of students have a whole semester to sit out to study for the exam. They just have that luxury. And here locally, you know, a lot of folks, and I, I would guess I was part of this, although I don't really consider myself a student like this, but a lot of undergrad students are working full time and they're, yes. they're extremely hard workers, but they don't have a whole semester just to sit out and study for the exam. So I don't know how you bridge that gap, but I do think that's, that's a challenge um, that's somewhat preventing the 
more CPAs being produced. Interesting. How, how does A&M do that? When you say they sit out, is it because that they're... They almost have a whole semester. It's my understanding, depending on how you do it, if you're a five-year program, the spring semester of your last year, you basically don't take any classes. You just study. And it's through like a test prep type program. And I know different schools have different different ways of doing it, but passing the exam and getting a degree are two different things entirely. Well, not entirely, but they're definitely different types of challenges. Sure. Yeah, passing the exam is, is a whole lot more, you know, based on the individual. Exactly. And are you a good test taker versus, you know, there's just a lot of factors that go into that. That's true. But, I, but I'll tell you, you know, one of the things that we've seen at our firm is it's hard to be somebody that's going to work hard and has a thirst to learn. And if you're that B or C student, you can be successful. Now, I think you need to always have that goal of being a CPA, but in the accounting profession in general, you can you can really do well if, if you just kind of have some of those intangibles. And, and most of what I've learned, I mean, I learned a lot in school, but I've learned so much more just be from being around great professionals and being able to you know, I was doing tax returns before I was a CPA, and that was just a credit to the folks I was around and how they taught me how to do them. So, you know, I wouldn't want to discourage anybody, you know, if you didn't have the ability to go and, and pass the CPA, I think accounting is still a terrific career. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. I'm glad we got into the, talking about the certification a little bit. That's that's an area that's very important to me as well and something we need to fix. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, getting back to, I guess, you know, Williams Crow Mask. Do you refer to it as WCM? I do. You know, part of my three-year vision that I wrote this summer was that we would rebrand at some point to be WCM. So we can we can refer to it that. We're not officially there yet, but it's something I see on the horizon. Okay. Well, since you've been partner, what has the firm done that's made a difference in a positive manner to, to help you grow since then? It's hard to put my, my finger on one thing. I feel like it's a privilege every day to work with everybody at our firm and my role may be to be a partner, but I often think, and, and I probably don't say it enough, but I'm no more valuable to the practice than anybody else. We all play different roles and we all do different things. And so I think one of the things that I've enjoyed is just seeing different team members strive for things and be successful. And then we can work hard together, which is one of our core values to kind of achieve greatness for clients, but then also for each other and, and really have that family environment. So I feel like it's a family, I guess, by name, having my dad and grandfather having really being a great legacy. My sister also works here. So it's <laughs> it's family <laughs> bloodlines, but everyone here, we just really have a great culture. It's just been so enjoyable in my time here. Anything you would have done differently if you had the chance? Wow. I mean, I, I think you can always look back and second guess decisions, but I think everything's been kind of a learning process. So there's not really anything in particular that I would change, but I think there's, but that doesn't mean we don't make mistakes on a regular basis too. And, and I think the, the definition of what has helped us is we try to learn from them as we go and, and just do a little bit better tomorrow than we did today. Okay. Okay. So you either succeed or you grow. <laughs> That's right. Well, I mean, I don't think, you know, to, we all have missteps, but they become mistakes when we don't learn from them. Okay. Well, that, that's the perfect launch into the final four questions that I ask every podcast guest. So first off, what's been your proudest moment? 
Oh, wow. You know, probably you're, I've listened to a couple of your other podcasts and, and I would say. Oh, not fair. It, That's not fair. Yeah, I, I know you already guessed. <laughs> so, so I'll give you, I'll give you a couple of different answers to this. You know, I've been really proud of our team members and just seeing the success that, that they're able to achieve. And it's really, truly just God working through all of us. And so I think pride is a, is a dangerous thing if you start reading your own press clippings. So I think it's just, I'd say I get more excited about a lot of things when I look at our team, our friends, our family, when they have successes. I mean, that's, that just gets me excited is the word I'd use more than proud. But then kind of to the answer you probably thought I was going to give, the time I've been the most emotional is when my two little girls were born. And I'm not a very emotional guy, but it's something that's just impossible to describe how amazing that was. How old are they now? They are four and seven. So they, they keep me very busy. Wow. But it's lots of You've fun. got a lot on your plate. <laughs> well, on the flip side, and I guess this was what I was alluding to earlier, tell us about a mistake you've made, what you learned from it, of course, and frankly, the more colossal and detailed, the better. Wow. Well, you know, I, I don't think this podcast has enough time to talk about all the, the missteps <laughs> and things that maybe I could have done a little bit better. But really, it's it's kind of like I said earlier, I see a lot of setbacks and maybe I would have done it a little bit different. But I also feel like if I hadn't done it that way, I wouldn't have learned from it. And I maybe wouldn't be where I was today. I mean, an obvious thing, and I don't really view it as a mistake, is should I just circumvented the earlier career I had and just been an accounting undergrad at A&M and gone through the program and come to work here right away, I don't think I would bring the same perspective and, and just different experience that I do if I had done that. So I really don't view that as a mistake. It was almost just a different path and, I'm, and perhaps an advantage um, at some point that I've had that. So I said it a little bit earlier, I, I think we, we take missteps all the time. They only become mistakes, and especially colossal ones if you're just kind of ignorant to them or you don't learn from them. Okay, okay. Well, who's been the biggest mentor or influencer for you so far in your career? Wow, that's that's an even harder question than the first one, Mark. You, you didn't <laughs> it, so. now because I, you know, and I say that just because I've had so many. I'm only here in my role and position or achieved any sort of success due to the, you know, the grace of God. But then being surrounded with a lot of fantastic people. So an easy one is my dad. Before I even got here, he's just been somebody that I've always gotten a little wisdom from and continue to on a lot of different things. The guys that I worked with at Alamo Advisors, Bob, Dan, Kelly, Will, I mean, you know, from a pure CPA role, they they taught me more and I learned more in that time there than probably ever in terms of the technical work. I mean, I've also had a couple of mentors that are sort of outside of the accounting profession. Boxy Hornberger, who's an estate planning attorney here, really from early on has, has really spent some time and, and helped give me some wisdom. There's a group Actually, an investment group here in town that used to be called Redstone. Now it's called Sendero. But part of my early career was spent with Fred Middleton and Scott McMillan. And they're just two of the amazing guys. And they probably don't even know. They, I mean, Boxy may not even know that I would consider them mentors. But it's really fortunate to, to get to spend some time with some fantastic people. And I still do. I mean, you know, it's amazing all the mentors that I've just been, been blessed to have. Yeah, sounds like you, you really have been. Lots of people learn from. That, that is wonderful. Well, what's the best advice you've ever received? Well, well, you know, I guess this, uh, I'll give you another one, but I, I would say kind of related to mentors or above is just surround yourself with good people and try to learn from them. So that's been something I was told and it's been very true in my career. Another piece of advice I got from somebody, maybe one of those mentors was the harder you work, the luckier you get. 
<laughs> so um, that's been something I, you know, I think working hard can make up for a lot of other things just with effort. And then the other thing, I, it's a core value of ours, but try to improve yourself every day and never stop learning. So those are things that I at least have, have tried to embrace on better some days than others on doing all of them. But, you know, it's definitely has guided me well. Well, that's some good advice to end this on. Really, that is good. I'm going to have to go back. I was trying to write as fast as I could to get these all down. I'm going to have to go back and listen to the, the recording. <laughs> Thank well, you. you know, I'd say we'll, we'll go to lunch sometime. And I'm happy to share my experience in it. And I, and I could like, you know, I've learned from you in the time that we spent together. So I appreciate your leadership style, whether it's in the, the CPA society or just other things you do. So you're not on the mentor list, but I please know that I've, I've learned stuff for you as well. Oh, well, thank you. That's your, you're too kind. Thank you. <laughs> well, if somebody wants to get a hold of you and find out more about WCM or you know, perhaps more about your path or wealth management, being a partner, what have you, what's the best way to reach you? Sure. Probably the best way. I mean, you can always email me at cwilliams at wcmtexas.com. Or just give a call to our office. The telephone number is area code 210-684-1071. I'm pretty easy to track down, hopefully, and, and always willing to visit with, with whomever. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Chris. I know it's a time investment. I, I appreciate you taking the time to, to share your story and, and your insight with the audience. I know it'll be valuable. Thank you very much. All right. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity, Mark. No problem. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Well, that was my interview with Chris Williams of Williams, Crow, and Mask in San Antonio. Chris shared his journey, and, and there's a lot of insight to be gained just from the journey that he took. However, I really appreciated the advice that he shared during the final four questions of the podcast. I think there truly were some, some nuggets of wisdom in there. Well, this has been another episode of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Thank you so much for choosing to spend your time with us. If you ever have any feedback for me, please feel free to email me directly at M-A-R-K-G, that's Mark G, at whereaccountantsgo.com. Or if you visit the website at whereaccountantsgo.com, you can fill out the contact form there as well. And either way, I'll be sure to get the message, and I appreciate any and all feedback. Until next week, there's more to come.